normally we start the things by one of us saying, hey, welcome to Casting Nets, but today it's hey, good, morning. To Nets. <laughs> good morning. No matter if it's morning or evening, good morning. Good morning. Yes. Welcome to the show. It's, it's like church show on Sunday. Today's like show church. is brought to you by Good, good Conversation. Good, good Conversation. <laughs> <laughs> when do they approach us about that? A subsidiary of good coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was never approached. I have never experienced good conversation, so I, I have no idea how they got that. But if you <laughs> had good conversation, then I'll just take your word for it that they it's are. A subsidiary of fellowship. A fellowship. <laughs> That's true. Wherever good fellowship is, there's good conversation. There you go. There you go. Well, welcome. This is Casting Nuts Podcast. I am Pastor Will Harley. Uh, also here with me is Pastor Dave Rudat. He is the one who has the, the very handsome background um, on on his screen. It's and a beautiful so, uh, background of the background of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Shirley. Yep. There you are. And so we are we're we're joining you today as we continue our look at uh, the Book of Esther. Um, so our goal is that that uh, someday we'll finish Esther. And then we'll we'll kind of move on into some other debunking topics. I think we have a couple of those in there, and some other uh, maybe visitor topics where we'll have some people coming in and and sharing some of their thoughts with us. Uh, so we have a lot of things that hopefully throughout the summer we'll be able to throw at you. I know it's getting into the summer months um, here at the end of of May. Uh, vacations start happening, and so don't be surprised if there may be a week or so that. We don't have a show because of a of a vacation that is planned or or someone's out of out of town. So that is that will be coming up. Uh, but it is a day the Lord has made. It's cooler in our area of the world. Um, I'm I'm ready for more warmer weather. And uh, yeah, it is what it is. So now we can maybe move on to Esther. Oh, we should probably do a, an introduction of uh, uh, just a trigger warning. Yes, Will Harley's going to be talking, so be warned. You might be triggered. Yeah, be warned. You might be triggered. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm yeah, also going to be talking. We're, there's going to be good coffee being drunk, so that means there might be good conversation. Um, most definitely there will be, uh, we're looking at God's word, and uh, we hold ourselves to that word. We also hold ourselves to the Lutheran confessions, and so as we're having a conversation that doesn't always reflect our church churches or the Bible, sometimes we're just joking and saying things. Other times uh, we're just thinking on the top of our heads. We're throwing stuff at each other and seeing what, um, learning from sometimes each other and learning from our listeners and people who are chatting as we're uh, doing this podcast. So we are, we're here uh, to learn and to engage in the scriptures and that this would be the beginning of a conversation and not the end, that uh, this is a time for you also to learn uh, in God's word. But if there's something that you find troubling or something that you have a question about, we welcome questions. You can ask us in person at St. John and Maribel, where Will Harley is, is uh, currently residing as pastor of St. John's in Maribel. You can also visit me at Emmanuel Lutheran in Shirley, which up, up until last Sunday, I'm still pastor there. Perhaps I'll be pastor there this Sunday as well. And um, so anyway, with engage with us email us at castingnetspod at gmail.com and if you like what you are hearing today please uh, feel free to like or uh, share Uh, you don't have to you are free to and uh, if you want to give us a rating you are free to give us a rating as well and my only encouragement only caveat is please don't give us a five-star rating because my head which is already big will already explode so or will explode so give us a four-star rating um and that helps the algorithms get this podcast to other people who are like-minded um, like you, that they're looking more about reading more and learning more about the book of Esther. Yeah, and the higher we get in those algorithms, the more AI will start to to turn to us and take our information and incorporate it into their answers. I'm looking forward to that. So <laughs> without further ado, you, you look forward to engaging with the AI, converting the I do. AI? Uh, converting the AI. That's, yeah. Let's, Does the let's AI know. have a soul? We've already had that podcast. We had that podcast already, and we've answered that question. Does AI it have does a soul? Not. It does, it does not. not. It will behave. It is. It will behave just like its creator, which is us human beings, which are flawed. So, um, anyway, without further ado, let's get into the music and the topic. 
So now we're back into Esther and to kind of give you a recap of where we, where we were and where we're going. So, um, Esther is, is now queen. So she is kind of moved into the place of, of queen Vashti and she is now, um, the, the main queen person there that Xerxes, uh, whenever he does need a queen, uh, he'll turn to her. And <clears throat> during this time, and there's there's been many years that have transpired um, between when she became queen to, to now, um, a man by the name of Haman, who has ties to the Jewish people in, in past through family, um, comes into power and he's given a prominent position. And uh, Mordecai, does not like Haman. Haman does not like Mordecai. I think that's fair to say. And uh, Mordecai um, kind of eggs Haman on by not showing him the respect um, that Haman would would garner in his position in the government. And that makes Haman very angry. And Haman, in his anger, decides he's not only going to take it out on Mordecai, but he's going to take it out on the entirety of the Jewish people and probably already had these plans anyway to do something of that nature. Um, but now we see see some of this going on. So what happens then is um, Mordecai gets wind of what's what's going on. Uh, letters had gone out to all of the, the controlled area of, of the, the Persians. And Mordecai comes to Esther. Esther doesn't know what's going on. Everyone is is weeping and sorrowful, and they're in sackcloth. And um, Mordecai tells Esther. Esther says, what do you want me to do about it? Mordecai says, go to the king. Esther says, if I go to the king, I'm going to die because I haven't been called. And Mordecai says, well, you're going to die anyway. <laughs> and it's possible that God placed you here. To, but he didn't use the word God because Esther doesn't use the word God in the entire book, but he says, possibly you were placed here for a time such as this. And so she, uh, she says, okay, I'll do it. Um, fast, uh, call a fast for all the, all the Hebrew people. And, um, and that's pretty much where we're at now. Uh, good summation. Want to add anything? Maybe have no. them go back and say, if you would like to catch up, um, you can take a running start by listening to the, to the other ones the other two sessions that we've had on the, the book of Esther. So uh, that makes us places us right square in the middle of the book. Uh, so we're at chapter five and chapter six. All right. Uh, shall we begin with prayer? Uh, Heavenly father, we sent, we ask that you'd send your Holy spirit that in that we would learn your word and to appreciate your son and also to appreciate your care for us. Help a will and I to explain God's word, help us all to grow in our faith as we read about your servant Esther. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, chapter 5. We'll take it as a section at a time. On the third day, Esther dressed in the queen's royal clothing. Uh, hold on a second here. Technical difficulties. In the inner court, and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, opposite the quarters of the king. The king was sitting on the throne in the reception hall, opposite the entrance. When the king saw Queen, queen Esther standing in the court, she pleased him. So the king held out to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand, and Esther approached and touched the head of the scepter. The king said to her, What concerns you, Queen Esther? Whatever you are seeking, up to half the kingdom will be given to you. Esther said, if it is agreeable to the king, the king and Haman should come today to a banquet that I have made for him. The, qu the king said, Hurry, get Haman so that we can do what Esther has said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. While the king was drinking wine, he said to Esther, What is your request? It will be given to you. What are you seeking? Up to half the kingdom, it's yours. Esther answered, This is my request. This is what I seek. If I have found favor in the eyes of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, let the king and Haman come to a banquet, which I will make for them tomorrow. Then I will give the answers requested by the king. Haman went out that day full of joy with a happy heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai did not stand and tremble before him, Haman was filled with rage against Mordecai. But Haman restrained himself from any action. He went to his house and called together his friends and his wife, Zeresh. 
Haman reviewed for them the glory of his wealth, the number of his sons, all the details about how the king had made him great and how the king had elevated him over all the officials and the king's administrators. Haman said, What's more, Queen Esther did not invite anyone else except me to come with the king to the banquet that she prepared. I have been invited again for her banquet with the king tomorrow, but none of this means anything to me whenever I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Make a gallows seventy-five feet high in the morning. Tell the king that Mordecai should be hanged on it. Then go happily with the king to the banquet. In Haman's opinion, this was good advice. So he had the gallows made. Chapter one, 5. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. <clears throat> and it seems as if we're we're kind of building a story, but... Um, and, and we are, there's, there's the tale is compounding itself, but I think there's a, there's a couple of things that, that are, are interesting. And we see the wisdom of Esther and the wisdom of Esther is she recognizes the law, right? So she, she recognizes that she cannot just approach the, the King and, and you see almost in, it's kind of a beautiful way. And, and we see some details in the scriptures where we see Esther places herself right at the cusp of where it would be unlawful for her to stand. So she, she can't go right into the, uh, the audit, uh, the audience room. She, she can't go into that. And if she was standing too far away, too far back, she would be out of, you know, out of right. eye shot or wherever. So she stands right at that cusp of, of <laughs> kind of like, I'm not close enough where I could die and I'm not far enough away that he doesn't recognize that I'm seeking uh, to, to gain his, his attention or, or want to come in. It, it is this a beautiful form of wisdom that, that we see on um, that Esther is practicing as, as she kind of put this plan into to, to fruition. Um, you know, she was such a, she was so afraid. She's like, I can't just go up to him and ask. I, I can't just do these things. She asked for some time. She was given some time during this time. We see that she was, using her mind to try to come up with how, how am I going to do this? How can I politically maneuver this into, into a way that, that will be beneficial for all of us and, and, and allow me to be able to present my case. And so she does, and she, it's just, just beautiful. Um, And then the scepter comes back, right? So the approaching of um, the, the recognizing the, the, the official position of the King, and she does that and, and is given an ability. Now, something that strikes you odd is, is he gives her the option, says, whatever, what, whatever is on your mind, up to half the kingdom, whatever you seek, I'm going to give you. Um, maybe the question that you'd have to ask is, why didn't she immediately say what she wanted to say right out of the gate? That's a good question. Obviously, we can't uh, go into Esther's mind to see what she's thinking. And, and certainly all of our, um, these are all conjectures on our part because we don't exactly know. Um, so one theory just might be that uh, she is uh, very patient or she's very, um, so she's, she's, she's building a case for, you know, if you say no to somebody, then they'll be like, they'll be more persistent that she's trying to gauge whether Xerxes is actually um, sincere in this request because we have established that Xerxes is a guy who is not always level-headed. And so he isn't always someone who is going to, be consistent if he gives his word is he going to keep it i i think that's in play that he is not that kind of a guy that he is a king he does what he wants at the whim whenever he wants that whim he's got the power he's got the authority no one's going to question him uh those kinds of things so it could be that it could be that she is um just terrified of what she's doing she is she's standing before the king and now the king says half my kingdom she, she doesn't know what to do with that and so she goes with whatever option that she has next that's my yeah, take and on I it. think those are those are those are actually not a bad take. I I think um, you have with with Xerxes. I, I think he is um, impressed with her beauty, and he's impressed with her humility, and so he has her approach. and And I think the statement that he gives um, sometimes I think we lo- read into that statement. Um, it's a it's a statement that is was that was said by uh, Alexander, or not Alexander. Um, um, Herod the Great, um, when yeah, after, John after the party, yeah. yeah. So I mean, this is not an outlandish statement in the sense of 
Kings, I think, did this. It maybe is more hyperbole than than anything else. Um, it, he's giving the uh, okay to ask and, and place a request. And, and I think there could be some fear. There could be some um, other things going around. I, but I also think that there's there's a brilliance here in Esther. And, and Esther recognizes that that um, sometimes the best way to get to Xerxes is to put wine in his hand <clears throat> and, and food in his belly. Um, and so she's, she's kind of maybe a bad way to look at it, but buttering him up. Right. You know, I'm, I'm going to, I, I'm going to place things in front of him that he can't disagree with. Um, and then hopefully get him to a point into a, a state of mind where he will be more agreeable. And, and that's kind of a brilliant uh, way to go. Um, I think Esther knows Xerxes better than Xerxes knows Esther. <laughs> I, I really do. Um, and, and it's kind of a neat, a neat play. Um, again, when we, when we approached Esther, right, we were saying, you know, this is just a bad situation all the way around. Um, Esther was, did not marry out of love. She's not married because this is um, something she wanted to do. She was kind of forced into doing it. Um, but she embraces that position, um, and she embraces what, what now the Lord has, has called her to, um, and, and you had all these bad things and she still, she embraces it and she, she works within the realm of, of what has been given to her. And she does a very fabulous job in doing it. Um, so they have a banquet, um, and she, she makes one request out of the banquet. It's not just a banquet for, um, the king. But it is a banquet for for Haman as well. Um, yeah, why Haman? What's her thought? What's her plan? I mean, we're gonna know what happens later on. But why Haman? Uh, well, I think uh, it, it is interesting because I I do like your take on that. Uh, Esther is pacing. It's obviously we, we we don't know. So this is just us just positing some ideas. So. Uh, that she's pacing him, that she's like, well, if I have him in the in the midst of his court and I ask for this big ask, uh, uh, save my people, um, maybe you don't want um, the court around to influence Xerxes in any way. If, he's a, he's a vol- if he is a volatile in- individual, we don't want to influence him that way. So she wants to have him uh, in, in person. Uh, why does she ask for Haman? I think Haman is the one that instigated this whole... Um, thing against the jews and so then then if it's just haman and xerxes and her then they could they could really uh have an opportunity to talk about this with other other without other political forces or or societal forces in play that's my take on it um what's yours no um (laughs) i like like that one (laughs) keep your friends close and your enemies close yeah um (laughs) i there's a part of me that that um I think there's a part of me that that this is the grand plot of of Esther that um, Haman seems just as volatile as Xerxes, <clears throat> and maybe she's going to try to. I, I, maybe I'm again. We're, I'm I'm just trying to make sense of of everything going on. But is she thinking in the back of her head? You know, <clears throat> if I can get him to have an outburst, if oh, I can get him. If I can get him to lose his temper or to show the kind of things that Mordecai has been saying he's been showing and expressing, um, the king will be there, right? And what better uh, way to show that? What better way to show that to get him in a social setting? Yeah, especially if she's going to reveal that she's a Jew. Then she's like, you got to pick either Haman or me. Which one is it? Right. So you think that's an interesting idea of concept of what she might, what she might have um, been anticipating. Yeah, and it's hard to say because we're the scriptures don't tell us. Um, but when we look at it and you think to yourself, you know, <clears throat> why a banquet? Well, the social setting. Um, Xerxes is more pliable in a social setting. Um, he's also more volatile in a social setting. Um, but then you have you have uh, Haman who is volatile in his own way. And and so he's <clears throat> you know, maybe this is maybe it's a setup, um, maybe it's and maybe it's playing the long game. She's she's trying to to, to kind of butter um, Xerxes up so that what she's going to pull out as a stop of saying this is who I am, this is what I'm asking. He's a little bit more accepting of that. Um, but he invites Haman 
um, or she invites him and they come, they have a, a meal, a banquet. Um, I think our idea of a banquet is different than their idea of a banquet. I think it, it's like a, um, you know, this was a private meal. This was a five course dinner, whatever it was, but it wasn't like uh, everybody's there partying. It was more, this was a social event um, and that they were able to come and just enjoy. And uh, she then plans that um, she would like to have another one. And so the request is made. The king says, um, <clears throat> I'll give you anything. Now is a good time to ask. And he had my glass of wine or two or three or four. Mm -hmm. um, now is the time to ask. And she says, nope. She says, I, I would like another opportunity to feed you. I'd like another opportunity to, uh, to, to have a social gathering with you and Heyman um, the next night. <clears throat> and so... That's an exciting thing. Uh, the king seems overly excited because he's getting the attention that he wants. He seems to be arrogant enough to always want attention. Mm -hmm. And uh, Haman seems overjoyed because Haman has no idea um, what is going on. And so he leaves. And now we get to see the true Haman, right? Um, I mean, yeah. he sees, sees Mordecai. And all of his, the high instantly goes down to a low because he sees an individual. So we, I think it, it portrays human beings the way that human beings are so oftentimes we are very volatile people that we we have a, a beautiful thing that happens to us and something bad happens to us and uh we instantly forget it pastors we get a uh, hundred compliments somebody says one criticism and that's what we remember um so human beings are like that that we gravitate toward the negative rather than the positive especially if uh Haman is not a believer he doesn't have that to fall back on so if we see that in people in our world where they're only focused on the negative, if we see that even in Christians in our own life where they only focus on the negative, it's a human thing, not a good thing, but it is a human thing. Well, and, and we do see, I mean, not only is Haman, of course, I mean, Haman's looking at this entire thing and, and he's going to now plot and we're going to get to the plot in a second. But he, he sees Mordecai and he just got done with with a fabulous meal. He was just uh, with the king and the and the queen and he he just filled it's interesting it's not anger it, it, it's it, the, the scriptures don't say it, he was angry it was rage i mean this is there is just something beyond anger um that that has now clouded him this is uh um i i guess when i think rage i'm i'm thinking like your your normal faculties, your normal abilities to think and to function and to process are, are kind of going out the window. And, and all you're doing is you're seeing red. You know, you think of a bull. Um, I, I got to charge. I got to act. Um, and he grabs onto a little bit of his self-restraint and he, he doesn't follow through with, with what he intends right yet. Mm -hmm. um, but he does something worse. Gossips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he kind of does something worse. I mean, his rage leads him to to premeditate, right? Which which is I think and you had made the connection that we see the human side of, of Haman and, and this is very much like we do, right? We hear bad information and we cling to the bad instead of the good. Um I I would also say that this is another part of humanity that that when we so easily pass by anger and we go straight to rage and and so often people plan their revenge and and, and they start planning how can i make this person suffer because of the the perceived injustice um and and that is a very human thing and you see this in Haman and you and i say you see it somewhat in Mordecai too i mean and totally different. I know Mordecai plays the hero yeah, a lot of time in this, but, but Mordecai is not a, a saint and, yeah. and, and <laughs> he's still not bowing down to him. He's still right. not showing any kind of respect. Yeah. He has not He's not read Romans 13. I mean, yeah. this is <laughs> <laughs> just fast forward in time. Read Paul. He did Paul, not understand the fourth commandment. <laughs> yeah. Fourth commandment. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. fourth commandment issues are, are are not Mordecai's thing. He's he's he ignores that. Um, but he looks at this, and uh, you, you get this interplay though of it doesn't matter how good things are, it, it doesn't matter what blessings you have. Um, as soon as you have the one thing in your life that doesn't make you happy, there's that knee jerk reaction. Yeah, sin has that um, power to 
just take away all the blessings that you have. Like if you are consumed with one with one sin or another, or you're consumed, your emotions, emotions not sinful in and of themselves, but if you are allowing them to um, lead to envy or lead to um, wanting to, like you said, conspiring against an individual, which is what we're talking about with uh, in the fifth commandment. You don't, you don't want to hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but you want to speak well of him, defend him and, and all those things takes it. And uh, so, yeah. Uh, what, what is the, um, what should he have had? I mean, his friends who come and talk to him, I think you had a really neat insight before we start the show. All right. What kind of friends are they that, uh, give Haman's advice as he comes home filled with rage? Uh, do they tell him, you know, take it easy, Haman, remember who you are. Remember Mordecai is, he's standing way over there. You're in a, in a favorite position. What do his friends tell him and what kind of advice? Yeah, so, um, so Haman, he yeah, he comes home and and I think he's surrounded by a bunch of yes men. He's surrounded by a bunch of people who um, want to feed him what he wants to hear instead of what he needs to hear. Um, <clears throat> now, again, that's speculation, um, but it, it almost seems that way. Um, I mean, he read, he he goes through and he he sits down and he reviews. I mean, just the the the, the narcissism of of Haman. He sits down and he reviews everything he has, all of his glory, all of his wealth, all of his um, you know the greatness and how honored he was that he was able to sit with the king and the queen. And then he he sums up all of these blessings with it means nothing because Mordecai. Is, is still sitting at the king's gate. <laughs> it's like you were in the king's house. You, you, you were with the, you were eating at the king's table and Mordecai is sitting at the gate and everything you have just means absolutely nothing. Um, I mean, there is, there is just a level of narcissism there. Um, yeah. And then the friends tell him, well, then conspire to kill him, build this big gallows. If you're going to, if you're yeah. thinking this through, Act on it. If right. you're angry, Haman, that that means whatever you feel, you should act on. So Haman acts yeah. on it and, and builds something so big it re- it reflects your anger. <laughs> yeah, because like a little gallow can't do it. I mean, you got <laughs> to have one that's six stories tall. <laughs> um, yeah, I I want to come back just a little bit. And interestingly enough you know we're, we're we're talking about all the different sins and we're yes we're equating it to the catechism and and looking at the commandments and 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 things of that nature but the scriptures very clearly say that if you break um one commandment you've broken them all right um that 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 even if you even if you break one of the commandments in a little that that all of them have been broken and and i think Haman is a perfect illustration of that. How sin just maybe not the idea of because I mean he broke more than more than one commandment, but the idea that one sin, one little, one little thing of sin, one drop of it just infests and grows and multiplies and destroys all the good things that that we think that we have or that we do have. And I think there's there, there's it that is the insidious nature of sin itself. Um, that that it it no matter what it touches it infects, um, and it becomes the big thing, right? It 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 becomes the 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 thing we become hyper focused on. It becomes the thing that that we gravitate to. It becomes the thing that we are are now always veering off to to explore, um, and and that is a dark that is a dark road to pursue and to think about, because you might have some really nice people in your life. And then you're like, but there's that one thing they can't shake. That and, one and, unconfessed sin that's just going to yeah. weed its way through the whole body and affect everything of that individual's life. Yeah, I completely agree. I've seen that as a pastor. I've seen that in myself, too, where you've got one thing that, especially in marriage, if you've got something where you you and your wife, there's something that she did or something that you did, and you're not willing to confess that to her, or she's not willing to confess that to you, where that just permeates everything and how quickly that can happen. Yep. 
And, and, and it's, you know, the Lord, he gives us all the tools. He gives us the, um, all of his, his grace to counter that in our life. Um, but again, it's that first thing we, we'd run away from all the tools that the Lord gave. Um, we, we don't want that a part of our life. In fact, I, I think we notice even in, in, I guess in the church realm, we notice it more that, that when you have these unconfessed sins or unconfessed sin, it could be singular, the, the more it allows to fester, the further away from the cross you go um, mm-hmm. and the further away from its cure. Um, I don't know. You, you would think, why would that happen? Because you would want to be cured. I think that the result is, is, is it comes back to the, the fault of the human nature. Um, one, we sinful think nature. Yeah. Sinful yeah. The sinful nature. We think we can cure it ourselves. And number two, we're, we think we're not the one at fault. Yeah, right. It's everybody else's problem, or it's God's problem, even too. Right. It's so brazen right. to say that God's at fault. Right. Yeah, and Haman does that. He sees Mordecai, and and he could have fixed the problem at any any given time. He could have just stopped and said, you know, Mordecai, I don't know what I did to offend you. If I did offend you, you know, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I'm going to try to do the best that I can. I mean, granted, I know it's a different cultural differences yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. and different classes. Um, but I mean, he, he goes off thinking I'm not the problem. Mordecai is the problem. And because Mordecai is the problem, the rest of my blessings mean absolutely nothing because I have this problem. Um, and, and now it becomes a big problem and it shouldn't have been a big problem. And then yeah. he has people that he gathers around him that says, you're right. It's a big problem <laughs> it's the problem ever. It's so big. You need a six foot gallow to, to solve that problem. You know, because one person falling six feet, or I should not, not six feet, six stories, one person yeah. falling six stories. That's not enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Now should we have a question before we move on? And we want to hit chapter six, but um so there's some discrepancy as to as to whether or not it is a gallow, or um, whether it's a pike. Yeah, walk us through yeah. that. So um, we're unsure in the Hebrew exactly what is meant. Um, so so a lot of translations will say gallows, um, but there is the idea that it could have been a pike, which is very typical for that time, um, which you is see. just a big stick, and they would stick you on it, and then gravity would pull you down. <laughs> I that I gruesome I know but mm-hmm. that that's what they did the Ninevites used to use those uh, quite a lot as, as part of their way of of killing their enemies um, so it wouldn't be outside of the the possibility that this was something that the Persians did and if you watch like uh, three hundred I don't know if you're a fan of three hundred I watched um, it once yeah. Has some some things in there that weren't necessary, but but the story itself, uh, it, it has the the Greeks going against the Persians, and the Persians in the front of their army had pikes, where they had had the the, the people that they had killed before, um, sort of leading the charge into battle, uh, speared on these pikes. Um, so the, it is an entire it is a possibility that that it's not necessarily like we understand the Wild West. Here's a uh, a noose and they have this little door and they woo, um, <laughs> go for a ride. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, one, because if you're at six stories and you fall, I mean, there's nothing there to stop you. And usually things break. Um, <laughs> um, and so it, it is a possibility. It could be a pike instead of uh, a noose. So are we ready for uh verse yeah. chapter six? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, chapter 6. That night, the king could not sleep, so he ordered the chronicles, the record of the memorable events of his reign, to be brought to him. These accounts were read to the king. They found the account about the incident when Mordecai had reported Bigthang and Thoresh, the king's two eunuchs who had constructed controlled access to the entrance to the palace who had tried to assassinate king xerxes the king said what honor and recognition has been given to mordecai for this then the servants of the king were attending him said nothing has been done for him the king said who is in the court just then haman had come to the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about hanging mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him 
The king's servants said to him, Look, Haman is standing in the court. The king said, Have him come in. When Haman came in, the king said to him, What should be done to honor the man with whom the king is pleased? Haman said in his heart, Who could there be that the king would be more pleased to honor than me? Haman said to the king, The man whom the king is pleased to honor should be clothed with garments that the king has worn. He should be given a horse on which the king has ridden and crowned with a crown that has been on the king's head. These clothes and his horse should be delivered by one of the highest-ranking noblemen of the king. They should dress up the man whom the king is pleased to honor and let him ride on the horse in the public square of the city. Walking in front of them, they will proclaim, This is what is done for the man whom the king is pleased to honor. The king said to Haman, Hurry! Take the clothing and the horse, just as you have said, and do this for Mordecai the Jew, who sits on the gatehouse of the king. Do not leave out a thing from whatever you have said. Haman took the clothing and the horse, clothed Mordecai, and had him ride through the public square of the city and proclaim before him, This is what is done for the man whom the king is pleased to honor. Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his home mourning with his head covered. Haman reported all of this to Zeresh, his wife, and to all his friends. His advisers and Zeresh, his wife, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not overcome him. Instead, you will surely fall before him. While they were still talking about him, the king's eunuch arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared. That's chapter 6. Oh, so Will Harley's on the phone in chapter 6, so let's uh, let's begin by talking about the king not being able to sleep. And this is a fascinating thing, because you think of what are, what is the effects that Esther had when she had these, uh, these banquets that he, the king had offered before him that you, you can have half the kingdom and all she says is just come to a banquet. And then they go to the banquet and she says, just come to the banquet. So she's she's given this great opportunity, this great uh, um, invitation by the king to have this huge uh, gift given to her and all she asks is for a banquet. And that might disturb him. Like what is, what's going on? What exactly is she asking or what act, what act exactly is she going after? Or it could be that, or it could just be some other affair of the kingdom that leaves him to be uh, sleepless during the night. But we see God's hand be in behind the scenes because he, he wants to be wants to be lulled to sleep by the, the his uh, a reading of his own accomplishments and the Lord just happens to have the accomplishment of, of Mordecai uh, saving his life. Well, so you, saw, so you did talk a little bit about his arrogance, and I, I do apologize. I had a phone call that, that came through. Um, but no, so you, you talked about his his uh, arrogance of wanting to be lulled to sleep by his own thing. Uh, this is God working behind the scenes to make sure that he can somehow um, yeah. remind the king of what is done. What is interesting, though, is is the record keeping, I think, of the Persians, that, that when they would chronologize, when they would put a chronicalization of all the different things they'd actually put also in the chronicles what was done for the person who you know what honor was given or what what thank you was sent out um so that when the king said well did we do anything for him i didn't remember hearing that um they could say no we did nothing for him which which spurs on the 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 further conversation which which i think is kind of a neat <laughs> it it Throughout the the pages of uh, of Esther, you get these little glimpses into into the governmental setup of of the Persians, and I think that's kind of a neat thing. Being a kind of a historian, I like to see some of these little little tidbits of how they would how they did things. It, it does uh, open our eyes to see that the governments of the past were not quite as inefficient as we might think, or just because they didn't have our technology, and so therefore they wouldn't you know they wouldn't have kept all these good records and, and things. Yeah, they didn't have nature. a spreadsheet. Yeah, they didn't have a spreadsheet. They didn't have Microsoft Word, uh, and uh, 
it, it, at the same time, it does reveal, like, I was thinking of this, like, how meticulous we sometimes are in our minutes of organizations, how we, like, record every little thing that we do and everything that has been said and the value of that so that we can look back and see, oh, this is how this went forward. Uh, when I was doing the um, papers, I did a paper at, at seminary about an organization called Camp Phillip, and so I went through the minutes and I was able to read all of the things that they were doing, the issues that they were facing because it was all recorded for you in a very meticulous way when uh saint paul's greenleaf congregation that i had served for over 100 well i didn't serve it for over 100 years but it existed over 100 years but i before we closed that congregation i thought as a pastor i should just read through all of the events of that congregation just to kind of get a feel for the life cycle of this uh of this part of god's kingdom at this area um before we we put the bookend on on it and yeah you you do see the the what happened what you know what was followed up on and what was dropped over the years and things like that. Well, and and the and I hate to say the bad part about that is is usually it's it's painted, you know, <laughs> colored completely different than than maybe what was actually there. But um, it is especially in the Persian Empire because the the word of the king, the the edict of the king, once it was written, it cannot be altered. Mm-hmm. And and so I, you you see this meticulous nature of of them taking copious notes. Um, because they can go back and say, but you said, and, and then he'd be held to what, what he had said. Um, so he's reminded, um, and then you definitely see, um, so you have two things playing against Haman. One was his own excitement, um, in, in trying to follow through more immediately on, on the idea that his family had given to him, his friends had given him of hanging uh, Mordecai. You also see the king then uh, coming and saying, okay, well, you know, I can't make this decision on my own of what we could possibly do or what would be fair for Mordecai. And so now he's searching for somebody in the court who can give him good advice. And um, you see the Lord playing behind the scenes, bringing both of them together. Yeah. Uh, Haman Haman for his own uh, selfish ambition and Xerxes for, um, wanting to to praise one who has served the served the nation and so so here you go um so Haman comes in um and the king doesn't let him speak he says hey i got an idea i have somebody that is that is near and dear to my heart who who really helped out the kingdom what can what can i do to say thank you and uh Haman Haman can only thank the only person that could possibly be near and dear to the king's heart is going to be me. <laughs> Oftentimes we can't see what people are thinking, but here the Holy Spirit has given us exactly what Haman is thinking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that this is not, this is definitely a pride goes before the fall. God is saying he knows exactly the kind of rebellion that Haman is, and not, not just a rebellion against uh, God's people, but also God himself. And God is going to set him up for this great fall. Yeah. And, and interestingly enough, um, I, I guess maybe I'll ask you this question because because Haman comes out with a whole list of, of things. Um, what is the significance, if, if you are prepared to comment on it, what is the significance of uh, a robe or a garment that had been worn by the king, um, a horse that had been ridden by the king, a crown that had been worn by the king? What is that significance? I, I don't know the ancient significance, but you can see the um, attachment to the king. Like this is, if this is, it's essentially the king, he and the king, Mordecai and the king, that's what is being communicated is Mordecai and the king are one and the same. You diss Mordecai, you diss the king because of all of this attachment to the king. You can think of, uh, and this is, again, speculation of the, the um, fascination that people have with what the king was wearing and what crown he was wearing, what horse he was riding. Um, we, it's still today. I mean, we're always fascinated with royalty and what they're wearing. And and uh, uh, King Charles was crowned and his coronation was different than the previous coronation. And why is that different? And what did he wear? And when did he go this place and, and go that place? So I could see that where people is fascinated. But I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it just that attachment between this individual and the king they're one and the same you diss one you diss the other actually i i was i was not going to tell you you're wrong i was going to say that is a beautiful picture because 
um, in the scriptures, don't we get that, that same picture with Christ? Um, we wear his righteousness. He clothes us in the robe of his righteousness. He wore it first and then gives it to us. Um, we are given the crown of life who first is worn by Christ, who is uh, the way, the truth, and the life. Um, so we we see these things and and that that beautiful image, like you had just said, that that we're connected to him now. If someone if someone disses us, if someone lo- they're looking down on him, um, and, and I think that is just a beautiful connection to to what the Lord has given us right through the waters of baptism. He has taken off his robe and has given the, those things to us that we now are able to wear them um, and that we're able to live in them just as as Christ. Yeah. Um, and so you have that connection where, where I think you're right. I, I, I do think that there's, there's, he is, this person is being praised as, as one and the same. Um, you know, he is, he's preserved the King's life. And so he is connected now um, uh, to, to what the King has done. So I, I, that's a, I don't think there's a better answer other than the fact that uh, um, Haman does not like what he has to do. <laughs> what he'll have to do because Haman's like, yeah, that, this is a great idea. I think this would be great. This is what you should do. And then have someone come before him and praise all of the accomplishments. And uh, the King even agrees with Haman and says, you know what? You're right. That is a great idea. Um, do that for, uh, for Mordecai, the Jew, the Jew. <laughs> he mentioned um, it by his nationality, by name, <laughs> which, which kind of, and and maybe I'm reading into this too much, but but doesn't that kind of it, it, it's going to come and be become a, a maybe a bigger question later on in the in this tale? But the the response of the king to say Mordecai the Jew it makes me believe that the king doesn't know what's going on, like like the the this tension between Haman and the Jews, uh, Haman and Mordecai, um, the law that that was put out by Haman to kill uh, Mordecai. Uh, to kill the Jews, I don't think the king is recognizing what his signet ring is being used for, <laughs> and 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 so he 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 doesn't. Am I off base? And I think that uh, it's true because we because I don't think uh, uh, Haman when he brought that before the king he didn't mention the Jews by name, did he? He did, he did he not. Just, he, he just said these these people oppose your right. rule and uh, those three things. They, their customs are not like your customs and things like that. Um, so I, I do feel that the Xerxes, I do, of course, this is all speculation, but you just, by just looking at the text, there is no, the king, there's no sensitivity by the king. There's no reference to your mortal enemy. It's just Mordecai the Jew. The king knows he's a Jew. He doesn't know that there's this blood feud between the two. And he was about to know the blood feud between the two because Mordecai was coming before the king to give him that, to tell him that that's you know, King, uh, do the, do me a favor, do me a solid, uh, give me the life of Mordecai the Jew. And right. now he can't, he can't do that. Before he even says anything, like you said, before he even starts his process, now he has to uh, eat this humble pie and parade him as if he were the king, parade Mordecai through the streets as if Mordecai were the king. Yeah, and then he can't get out fast enough after he's done. He's yeah. just like, I'm done. I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which leads me to the que- uh, interesting question that I have at the end where his advisors is, if they are yes men, it just seems like they, they do a 180. He comes in, he's mad that he's fallen, he's been humiliated. Instead of his advisors giving him wise advice, they are um, going uh, telling him that it's hopeless. Mordecai, could you speak more to their the to the yes men here and their advice that they give to Haman? Yeah, so I think I, I think he still has yes men, um, but I think that they they realize the gig is up um, when they're like, okay, the fact that the the fact that the king knows Mordecai is a Jew, um, I I don't I don't think that that would have been any different, or it would have been different if he would have just said. Yeah, Mordecai. But the fact that the king now knows that Mordecai is a Jew, what is being planned later on that year? What what's going to be happening later on that year of of eradicating all the Jews um, is going to be. I, I I think they're looking ahead and they're saying he's the beginning of your downfall. 
because the king is going to say, well, Mordecai is a Jew. How can you say these Jews are against me? Look at what Mordecai did. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's where they're going. They're saying, there's no way that you can, you can talk yourself out of this one. That, 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 that there's, there's, there's really no hope of you fast talking and saying, well, he's an exception to the rule. <laughs> um, especially since all of Susa, uh, the, 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 the capital was saying, I don't understand <laughs> the the Jews aren't, they, they haven't done anything. Um, yeah. And, and so I think he, I think the, the, the chips are starting to fall. And I think that you see Haman has overplayed his hand and his friends are now still yes men, but they're moving themselves. They're distance, distancing themselves away from the sinking ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're getting into the lifeboats. They're like, uh, Heyman, you're kind of on your own on this one. Yeah. I, I do yeah. like that interpretation other than, I mean, I've read, I was reading the, uh, uh, I think it was People's Bible or something like that, where they, where this was somehow an acknowledgement of God being the God of the Jews and you can't stop the God of the Jews, where that's a stretch to me to think that um, because it do, we don't have any evidence of that. But if but I do like your line of thinking where they're, they're saying, you have this plan to kill the Jews and you have the best Jew standing there in, who's been honored by the king, this is not going to end well for you. And right. uh, um, so that would be the... Um, that would be where I would see this um, coming more than that they would have some sort of realization that the God of the Jews is working behind the scenes. Although it could be like a double entente where they're thinking what you just said. And because this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's reminding us that when you are um, attacking God's people, whether they're New Testament or Old Testament people, you're you're invoking the God who promised to protect them and he's going to act against you and you're not going to make it in the end well and and i would agree with that wholeheartedly i think we have to be careful though when we talk about these things as 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 christians because we want to import um into the text more than maybe what is not saying that god isn't there that's not what Mm -hmm. i'm saying at all but i'm saying that we want to we want to in like we feel more comfortable saying well they recognize the god of the jews no they didn't that 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 wasn't the thing there's no evidence Uh, of that yeah yeah there's no there I mean, yes, is it true the God of the that that our God is working and our God is going to keep His promises? It says, "You don't pick on my people." Um, yeah, that that's true. He's preserving the promise of 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 His Son coming into the world, and to do that, He has to keep the Jews alive <laughs> to make to make that work. Um, but on 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 the other side, you you don't want to overstep because you, you have an entire story based around a, a people that have kind of fallen away from their knowledge of the Lord and, and they're clinging to his promises. Um, and so you're, you're really getting an introduction into some of the issues that have happened um, during the 400 years of silence when we have after the scriptures, where, where you have a lot of the Jewish community is fractured and they become more of a national entity instead of a religious entity, um, which is some of the issues that we have coming into the New Testament, right? And when you get into the New Testament, you have, um, you're have you very hyper-focused on your fathers. You're very hyper-focused on your nation. You're very hyper-focused, but you're not focused on really what what has brought you to be a nation uh, and, and the God who, who has given to you his gifts. Yeah. So that's uh, chapter six. Could you, um, could you uh, talk to us, uh, any if, if you can, we don't want to, I can talk. <laughs> that's good conversation. Is that's what you're all about? Because uh, you've been, you know, bribed by the good conversation, the movement of good conversation through <laughs> as he drinks coffee. Fellowship, <laughs> fellowship has sold me on that. <laughs> the, uh, how about the conversations in your in your grade school? You're teaching this to your sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. What were some of the insights that you really liked when you were talking about this text uh, with them? Um, I think the, the the thing that they really kind of liked was the the sense of humor God has. Um, that was really the big thing. The sense of humor that God has as He works behind the scenes to to really rip the rug out from from under Haman, um, because He could have done it in a multiple of multiple ways, right? He He really could. Um, he could have He could have just had the truth come out with Esther and the king, um, then take action, and Haman's now gone. But but what we have is we have 
just this the, the the kids thought it was really funny that Haman wanted to humiliate Mordecai. Haman wanted to to kill all the Jews. Um, and I know we haven't gotten to the part where where Haman ends up dying, but but the kids were just thinking it how funny it is that the Lord, the Lord, instead of humiliating Mordecai, has Haman exalt Mordecai. And then also we have the demise of Mordecai, uh, or the demise of Mordecai being turned around, and now it's the demise of Haman. Mm-hmm. And they just thought that was, you know, the Lord working. And they're like, you know, that's interesting how the Lord sometimes takes what our greatest fears are or what people have planned for us, and he turns it around completely. Um, so that was an interesting thing that the kids picked up on. Um, other than that, they just they had a lot of questions more on why that like we had a really good conversation on these are the king's things what is that connection and then and like i had told or like we had discussed here making that connection to that that's still part of the church we receive the king's things and 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 we're connected with him um through those things uh and and so we had a really good conversation about that this is a great example of god using evil for our good like not necessarily that it was good for Mordecai to go through what he's going through, but God is working behind the scenes where you can't outthink God, you can't outscheme him, uh, you think you're going to um, win the day because you're so smart and God is, can turn it around. And again, prime example, the leaders said, we're going to scheme and get rid of Jesus, and but we're not going to do it during the festival because, boy, that would be the absolute wrong time to do it during the Passover when there's Let's you know the <laughs> two hundred thousand people. And God said, "No, you're doing it during the Passover." <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and then we're going to taunt him and say, "Save yourself," nope. and he's like, "No, I'm going to save. I'll save you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll save the, the, all of humanity." Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. All if right. only, if only right. a person would rise from the dead, dead and come back and tell us, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. How about 500? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to scheme and make sure that those disciples won't, uh, uh, won't steal Jesus' body and claim that he rose from the dead. We're, we're so smart. And then God says, guess what? I'm going to use the enemies of God to be my primary witnesses that Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah, and I'll send angels instead of... <laughs> disciples <laughs> how do you like them apples <laughs> yeah. so, oh you stopped me <laughs> oh, <shoot. laughs> i was gonna send my i was gonna send the 11 that were left with, with shovels <laughs> i was gonna send ladies up to move that stone now i had to change my plan <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, I hope you guys enjoy this uh, lovely little conversation banter of, of us, which is borderline irreverent, but it is <laughs> hilarious. Um, uh, you know the, real, the realization that the Lord works, the yeah. Lord works in mysterious ways, and and He does work behind the scenes. Um, and you know, sometimes when we have forgotten that, yeah. that we're not even thinking He's there, He is. And, yeah. and he is still preserving his promise. So that was a good comment of uh, it's really is comforting when we look at our leaders now. Like we think that we need to be actively engaged in doing this and we forget that there's a God who is still behind the scenes. I think of uh, confirmation today and that it actually encourages me because th- confirmation usually for me is a high and a low at the same time. A high because these kids can receive the Lord's gift, the Lord's supper, but then also a low of thinking of all the people I have confirmed in the past who have strayed from the church or who had some attachment to the church who made the same confession that these kids made and now are no longer there. So you think of yourself um, uh, I, that this is just an, a, fut- a futile endeavor and, re- and a reminder that God is still working behind the scenes, that God is still here. He is still here. He is not far off. He's not in heaven. Well, he is in heaven, but he's not just in heaven. Um, he's here on this earth actively uh, using his means of grace to... Um, um, to, to keep God's people in the one true faith until life everlasting. Yeah. So what a great study that we had today. A reminder of our baptism, of what that we're clothed in Christ, and uh, we, are, we get the same things that Christ gets. So we get heaven, uh, we get respect, we get a God who is working on our side because uh, Christ earned all of that for us and, and in, an, in an unlikely place of Mordecai and Haman, two men who do not get along, who are... Uh, um, are very racist against each other and aren't, you know, they aren't 
the cream of the crop, that, but God is still, because of his, of his covenant, because he has made a promise to watch over his people, is going to use them to accomplish what he has promised. Yeah, amen. I think that uh, that sums up the show pretty much. God is going to work in your life, whether you like it or not. 